0: Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzovino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. So with reverence and humility, giving you thanks for it, knowing that we can trust our lives to its provisions. We ask that your Spirit enlighten us, lead us and guide us into all truth, enlarge our capacity to receive revelation, knowledge, wisdom, understanding, and ability of all things that pertain to life and godliness. I thank you for making my tongue as the pen of a ready writer to proclaim with accuracy and boldness the knowledge of the truth that makes men free. Thank you for writing it upon the table of our hearts, causing us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. We'll give you all the praise, honor, and glory for all that's accomplished in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, if, If you would, please, turn to Exodus chapter 15. And for those of you who were here Wednesday evening, you'll know... What I'm about to say in review, but for those of you who were not here, I'm reviewing it for you. Last Wednesday evening, I made mention of the fact, according to Hosea 4 and 6, we are told in God's Word that God's people perish. Not for lack of prayer, not because the devil is so big, not because life is unfair. Or not because the world that we live in is such a mess. But God himself said of his own people, my people perish for the lack of knowledge. For lack of knowledge. Well, I believe that God should know his people and he should know why they perish. Amen. And he said it's because of a lack of knowledge. Well, what's the cure for a lack of knowledge? Obviously, it would be to obtain knowledge, wouldn't it? I believe when you go to church, you should get something from the Word of God. I believe this is God's instruction book. This is more than a religious book. This is God's instruction book. It's His road map. It informs us, it enlightens us, it educates us, it teaches us, it shows us the way of God. It provides for us the principles upon which we are to build our lives and structure our lives. And if we're not studying the Word of God in church, then what are we learning? Traditions of men, maybe religious ideas, religious form. But beloved, God wants us to get a hold of His Word and walk in the light of it. Learn how to apply the principles of the Word of God to our lives in a practical way so that we can experience reality with God. Someone said, well, why doesn't God just do it? Well, He can't just do it. If He could just do it, He would have just, He would have done it, period, and from the very beginning and prevented Adam from ever falling. But that's not what it's all about. God does not impose His will upon our lives. He does not enforce His will in our lives. And if I tell you what, if you don't want to go to heaven, you know you can die and go to hell? How many of you know that you have that prerogative? You want it? No, I don't want it, but I mean, you can if you want to. God won't stop you. Now, if God would, could, could do that, He would. When Jesus came to the earth and walked on the earth, He just would have wrapped things up right then and said, that, Let's just get everybody saved and go on to glory. But He couldn't do that Himself, could He? And so you see, He went about teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and disease among the people. Did you get that? He went about teaching, preaching, and healing. He didn't just go about healing. He went about teaching, preaching, and healing. Why? Because where there's a lack of knowledge, there's a lack of faith. And when there's a lack of faith, you short-circuit the power of God and God can't do what He wants to do. And so you see, we've got to be schooled along the lines of faith, learning how to receive from God, placing ourselves in an atmosphere in which we can activate the power of God through our faith. And if we don't learn those principles, then although the power supply has been brought to our house, it's not activated to meet our needs. Just like the power we have around us, we've talked about that many times, we have electrical power all around us. You know, either Duquesne Light or Penn Power brought that power to us. It's over here. And if you don't tap into it and plug into it and receive from it, then it's not going to do you any good. If you want to cook a meal, if you want to heat your home, you don't tap into the power source, it's not going to do you any good. Even though they brought it to your house. Can you see that? Well, God brought it to our house. We have the power made available to us. But we've got to have knowledge and understanding in order to activate it in our lives. And so that's why I believe when you go to church, you should be taught the Word of God. Learn the principles of the Word of God. And don't be afraid to wait out there in the waters of life. Get out and boat of sense knowledge, so to speak, and, and go beyond uh, sense knowledge and sense faith or natural faith into supernatural faith and revelation knowledge. And that's why we're here. Now, we shared just a thought Wednesday night about... A cause or a reason for sickness and disease and weakness and premature death. For an example of a lack of knowledge. I bet you there are many, many, many sat in church for years. Years. but didn't have the revelation. And when I say revelation, I'm talking about the light on the inside. The knowledge, the light, the revelation that comes from God on the fact that improperly participation, improper participation in the Lord's Supper is a cause for weakness, sickness and premature death. Among believers. And they just. As a matter of fact. There'll be many today. Just sitting in church. And, and celebrating the Lord's Supper. On a weekly basis. Not even knowing that. Improper participation. Is the cause. It's the reason for. Weakness. Sickness. And premature death. It's the truth. I did it for years. In a denominational church. Never knew it. Never knew it. But it's a cause. And if you read. 1 Corinthians 1130. It tells you that. For this reason, for this cause, many are weak, sick, and die prematurely. So you won't find that diagnosis in any hospital or doctor's manual, but you'll find it in God's book of life. And we learn then that since it's the knowledge of the truth that makes men free, how do we remedy that? Well, just do the opposite. Properly participate in the Lord's Supper, and what do you get? Strength, health, and longevity. That's pretty good. Don't look at the negative. You know, don't preach that hellfire brimstone and just browbeat people with the negative. Why you old sinner, you, you old maniac, you. You know, I'll tell you the reason why you're like that. Because, you know, you're so ugly when you walk before God that they're God in heaven, uh, you know, you're, you're weak and sick and blah. Just educate people. You know, I, I believe people come to be taught and be educated. That's why you go to school. That's why you should be going to church, to learn some things. You know, not how to get a browbeat, but feeds people. Put something into them. Proper participation of the Lord's Supper will produce strength. It'll produce health. It'll, it'll produce longevity. Give you a long life. That's what it says. And then discover that. Find out how, you know, to do that. And we said there are three things, and I'll just briefly give it to you quickly. Directly discern the Lord's body includes, number one, you have to understand the literal body of Christ was broken for our sickness and for our disease. In Isaiah 53 and verse 4, we are told, surely He had borne our sickness and carried our pain. And you see, in in a lot of churches, it's a sad sad scenario, but I mean, I don't say it to knock anybody. I I sat there and and I never heard it for many years. I didn't know that Jesus on the cross died for my sicknesses. How many of you sat in church for years and didn't know that He actually died for your sicknesses? Everybody be honest and lift your hand. I mean, you sat in church for a long period of time and you didn't even know that He died for your sicknesses. Well, see, the majority of the people here had never heard that. Why? Because we just focus on the fact that He died for our sins. And you know, when it comes to our sicknesses, that's such a controversial thing. Who wants to, you know, have conflict and deal with that? Let's just forget about it and go on. Don't tell the people about it. No, instead of being an easy thing to fight against sickness and disease, you know it's not an easy fight. I know it's not an easy fight. I'm going to tell you what, if it's the truth, we've got to tell people. Because the only way they're going to get free is by knowing the truth that makes them free. So the literal body of Christ was broken for our sicknesses as well as our sins. And that has to be a revelation to people. That has to be taught to people. Okay, that's number one, to rightly discern the Lord's body. Number two, the Lord's body, if you read 1 Corinthians 11 and 12 and put it all together, you find out is a collective body of believers. And what that means is we've got to acknowledge that we need each other. The eye can't say to the ear, I have no need of you. Why? I don't want to just be able to see. I want to hear also, don't you? And the ear can't say to the eye, I have no need of you. I don't want to just hear. I want to see also. And the head can't say to the foot, who is the head of the body of Christ? Jesus. Jesus is the head and the foot. If we view the foot as being the lowest member in the body of Christ, the head who is the top cannot say to the foot, I have no need of you. Think about that. Jesus himself can't even say, I have no need of the foot. So no matter who you are in the body of Christ, you're needed. And that means we are to love each other, discerning that we are the Lord's body. Every single one of us, we are to love each other, knowing that we're all needed. And the Bible says, uh, by the Apostle Paul, of course, led by the Spirit, said, I am less than least of all the saints. I esteem everyone more highly than myself. You're more needed than I am. Do you see that? That's an attitude that creates an atmosphere of healing. That's an attitude of humility and love. And when a person views himself that way before God, that's a proper sense of humility. And he has a a true understanding and discernment of the body of Christ, walks in love towards all the people. He puts himself in an atmosphere where what? God's healing power can flow in his life. Okay, and thirdly, individually, I am a member in the body of Christ. Individually. That's, That's literally, collectively, and individually, I am the body of Christ. Say that with me, I am the body of Christ. So as an individual, you are the body of Christ. And what that means is you as the body of Christ, as an individual, you are responsible to take your own place in the collective body of Christ and do your part. The one that says I can sit at home and be a good Christian is wrong. Because that person has got to be a part of the body of Christ. If the arm stays at home, how many of you said I'm going to go to church today but cut off my arm and leave it home? And I'll be just as good and just as whole when I get there. No, you won't. You have an arm missing. See? Well, I don't need this left eye. I can see with my right one. I'll just leave it home. No, that's not the case. The Bible says we need each other, and therefore, each one as an individual has got to recognize that he is needed. Someone says, they don't need me down there. Yes, we do. I said, yes, we do. You are needed to take your place. And as you take your place and do your part, you put yourself in an atmosphere because you discern the Lord's body of healing and deliverance and victory. So that's properly discerning the, the Lord's body as a whole. Individually, literally rather, the body broken. Collectively, the whole joint body walking in love towards each other. And then individually, I have my place. I have my function. I have my responsibilities and duties that I'm responsible before God to fulfill. And if you rightly discern the Lord's body, and you do that and participate in the Lord's Supper, what does it produce in your life? Strength, health, and longevity. We didn't even pray, did we? I said we didn't even pray for it, did we? It just promotes it. Can you see that? I said it promotes it. And what does it prevent? Weakness, sickness, premature death. Do you see that? Okay. Okay. Exodus fifteen twenty-six. I sat in church for many years. I never heard this text. I never read this scripture. How many of you sat in church for years and never knew this scripture existed? I know I did. It says right here in fifteen twenty-six, Exodus, lack of knowledge will do what? Lack of knowledge will cause people to what? Perish. Okay, listen. And said, if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes i will put none of these diseases upon thee and if you if you read a more a better translation a more literal translation i will not allow any of these diseases, diseases to come upon thee which i have allowed to come upon the egyptians for i am the lord that healeth thee i am the lord we know about the great i am the great i am has revealed himself here as jehovah rapha which is a covenant-keeping name of the covenant-keeping God. How many of you believe that He is Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness? Jehovah Makedesh, the Lord our sanctifier? How many of you believe that? Amen. He is Jehovah, and we can go on all the names of God, Nisi. And, and He is Jehovah Jireh, and all the covenant names of God. He provides for us. He, he's our captain, the captain of our salvation. Ruah, He is the Lord our Shepherd. How many believe He's the Lord our Shepherd? See, we say all these other names of God. He's my Shepherd. He's my righteousness. He's my sanctifier. His banner over me is love. And we go through all that. He is Jehovah Shalom. He is my peace. Glory to God. He's my peace. But then all of a sudden, you get behind a pulpit and you say, He's also Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our Great Physician, our Doctor, our Healer. And all these eyebrows are raised. Well, now, who wrote that? Who said that? God did. God said, I am Jehovah Rapha. Why don't we hear that preached? I am Jehovah Rapha, your great physician. And if you will, notice if you will, then I will. If you will, in verse 26, hearken to my voice, do which is right in my sight, give ear to my commandments, keep my statutes, then I'm not going to allow any of those diseases that came upon the Egyptians come upon you. I won't allow it. That's what he's saying here. Now, that's a pretty good revelation. But you see, it's too controversial for some. I'd rather just get right into the thick of things and find out what God said and then activate them in my life. What about you? Absolutely. Well, if you don't have that knowledge, then you see, you can't walk in the light of something that you don't know of. You can't then activate God's power on your behalf. Now, also in connection with this, look at Exodus chapter 23. I sat in church, never heard this scripture read. Never heard this scripture read. This will bless you. I've shared this scripture with many who have been blessed by it. As a result, they were able to keep children. Listen to what it says. Exodus 23 and verse 25, or verse, go to 24. Thou shalt not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do after their gods, but thou shalt utterly overthrow them and quite break down their images. And ye shall serve the Lord your God. You shall serve the Lord your God. In other words, you lay down your life for the service of God and God will bless your bread. You walk into the storm buy a loaf of bread and say, thank God you blessed it. That's pretty good. That's the food that you partake of, in other words, and he's talking about to provide health. We don't know when we eat what's, what's going to happen to us. You know, you put, so you put food inside you, you can get contaminated, poisoned. But thank God, he says, he'll bless your bread. Well, that doesn't sound too much like a miracle for us today. But back in those days when they had no refrigeration and none of the things that we have today, that's a blessing. Amen. You know, God was in the baking business. He made them fresh bread every day. That's probably what these bakers got their ideas, fresh bread every day. Think about it. Isn't that what he did? Absolutely. I'll bless your bread and your water, what you drink. Sometimes the waters were contaminated. There are bitter waters. They were poison. But God blessed it. They could drink it and God blessed it. So if they did drink it unknowing, you know, unknowingly, they didn't know that it was a poison or whatever or bitter, then God would purify it. Think about that. God would purify it. He'd purify water. We didn't need to have all these companies come in and purify our water. God would do it. I told that to one fellow that came over my house to sell me one of them. He didn't like my answer. I said, I'll just pray over it. God will sanctify it. That's the best and cheapest way I know of having pure water. Besides, that way I know it's purified. Amen? Well, it said it right there. Well, how do you know? It said it right here. Take that literally. God says he'll bless your water. And he said he would. Now, for the most part, no one has a problem with that because everywhere you go in any Christian circle, they always pray over the food, Right? Bless it and sanctify it through the Word and prayer. Well, through the Word. The Word says He'll bless your bread and water, and I will take sickness. Now, here is where we get into all kinds of controversy. Here is where we get into all kinds of conflict. I kind of wonder, do they just cut that out of their Bible? Do they just cut that portion out that says, I will take sickness away from the midst of the... Or do we overlook it, ignore it, or just put another colored glass all over the top of our glasses or our eyeballs? And we just can't see that. My beloved, I'm telling you something right now. It's a fight for me like it's a fight for you. Can you hear me? It's a fight to stand against sickness and disease. You know that as well as I do. I can't deny it. It's in the Bible. And I'm not going to make an excuse for it. I'm not going to say it's relegated to the future. I'm not going to say it's just for yesterday. Those people that lived way back when, God said right here. I will take sickness away from the midst of you. How often do you hear that preached in church? It gives you a potential to have, I'll tell you what, to reach out, a goal to reach out for. Because you see something here God wants to do for people. If it's in there, let's preach the whole counsel of God. That's what I say. And let's not bring God down to our level. Let's rise up to His. Amen. Amen. And His revelation. But it said right there. Did you read that? Does it say it right there? I will take sickness and disease away from the midst of you. I know you're trying to set me up here because you're going to say that's just for the Israelites. Hold on, just keep on going with me. And then it goes on to say, And there shall nothing cast their young nor be barren in thy land, the number of thy days I will fulfill. And here's where many, many, many have been spared when it comes to childbearing. There shall nothing cast their young nor be barren in thy land, the number of thy days I will fulfill. On the other hand, if, if, you know, a, a woman lost a child or whatever... My goodness, there's no sense, there's no need for a sense of condemnation or guilt or anything like that. Beloved, we're in this fight together. I stand right by your side and cry with you, praise God, and have compassion with you. But I'll tell you what, I encourage you the next time around to to just get that Scripture and just hold it dear to your heart and just look at it every single day. Every single day and just keep feeding your spirit. And we've seen that happen where one did lose a child. But just fed on that Scripture and just took God at His Word and just built themselves up spiritually. And next time around, even though it threatened, praise God, they, they rose victoriously. Amen. 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 And so you see, we've got to get a hold of the Word of God and, and unleash the power of God through faith. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 7. I, I, read the, I was in church. I never heard this preached. I was in classes at church. I never heard this preached. Why? It's too controversial. That's why. It means we may have to do a little bit of effort and research and work. That's why. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 6. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. No problem. The Lord thy God chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. No problem. We believe that. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people. For ye were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn to your fathers, hath he, the Lord, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord thy God, know, therefore, have the knowledge. What sets us free? What makes us free? It's the knowledge of the truth that makes men free. Know, therefore, that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy. Underline that. Highlight those two Thoughts right there. He keeps covenant and mercy with them that love him. Does it say with the Israelites only? Does it say with the Jewish people only? And keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repayeth them that hate him to their face to destroy them he will not be slack to him that hateth him he will repay him to his face thou shalt therefore keep the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which I command thee this day to do them wherefore it shall come to pass it shall come to pass everybody say it shall come to pass, it shall come to pass. if he hearken notice that biggest word in our vocabulary two letters but biggest word if Ye ye hearken to these judgments, and keep and do them, that the Lord thy God shall keep unto thee the covenant and the mercy. The covenant and the mercy which he swore unto thy fathers. And he will love thee and bless thee, multiply thee. There's no problem. You can preach that everywhere in the world in Christian circles, and you'll have no problem with that. He'll love you. He'll bless you. He'll multiply you. He'll bless the fruit of your womb, the fruit of your land, your corn, your wine, your oil, you increase your kind, the flocks of your sheep. In the land which he sworn that thy fathers to give thee, thou shalt be blessed above all people. There shall not be male or female barren among you or among your cattle, and the Lord will take away from thee all sickness. Stop right there, brother. Now, he doesn't really mean that. Oh, he doesn't? Why did he say it? You know, if he didn't really mean that, we might as well back up all the rest and say he didn't mean to bless us. He didn't really mean when he said to multiply us and love us. Can you see that? You can't take one portion of Scripture out and throw it away and say God didn't mean that. No, he said here, and the Lord will take away from thee all sickness and will put none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which thou knowest upon thee, but will lay them upon all them that hate thee. He won't allow them to come on, you allow them to come on, all those that hate him. Well, that's what he said right there. So if they were to fulfill the law, keep the covenant, then what did God say would happen for them? They'd be loved, they'd be blessed, they'd be multiplied, they'd be protected and cared for, and he'd take sickness and disease away from the midst of them. And didn't he say that right here in two references? Now, turn with me, if you would, please, to the book of Romans. For those of you who think that it was only for the Jews. Or for anyone who thinks it's only for the Jew. I'm so tired of hearing saying that was only for the Jew. Well, I'm a spiritual Jew. What about you? Aren't you? I know I am. I'm of the seed of Abraham. Are you? Amen. Amen. And that's the real Jew according to the Word of God. In Romans chapter 13. Yeah, but God loved those people. Well, let me tell you something right now. The Bible says that we are a chosen generation. Amen? God loves us. God so loved the world. Doesn't say God so loved the Jew. Does it? God so loved the Italians. Doesn't say that. God so loved the Polish. Didn't say that. God so loved the world that whosoever We're a holy people. Called out chosen generation. Kings and priests of the Most High God. And He loves us. For the Father Himself loveth you, Jesus said. Amen. Because you believe on Jesus. Well, in Romans chapter 13, in verse 7 it says, Render therefore to all their dues... Tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. If under the Old Testament the fulfillment of the law gave way to all those blessings of God. Can you see that? I'll bless you, I'll bless your bread, I'll bless your water. If you fulfill my law, I'll bless your bread, I'll bless your water. The number of your days I will fulfill. There'll be no barren among you, etc. I'll take sickness and disease away from the midst of you. If all those were the blessings of keeping the statutes, the commandments, and the ordinances of God, the law of God, and an Israelite would fulfill that, then all those blessings would come upon him, the Bible says, and overtake him. Isn't that what it said? Okay. Well... The Bible says right here, if we love one another, we have fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Isn't that the law? Thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Well, beloved... If we walk in the the love law, the royal law of love and fulfill the law of love and we live under a better covenant established upon better promises and under the old covenant, they could have all those blessings that we already mentioned. How much more can we expect to have those blessings and even more if we walk in the royal law of love and fulfill that law by walking in love? And we should expect that. And so, you see, it was progressive revelation. God revealed all that, not so that it would end someday. That was just for the Jew. No. He did all that to bring us to a place where we can have better promises, a better covenant, greater blessings. We have greater blessings than what they had. Well, would you rather live under the old covenant or the new? How many of you like living under your old contract that says you're only going to make so much an hour? But the new one says you'll make ten times that. Would you rather live under the old or the new? How many of you would take the new? But the humble ones will live under the old, right? I'm just a beggar. Stand back here where it's safe. Don't want to make any more money than I'm making now. No, you would never do that. You say, I want the new. Well, we have a better covenant established upon better promises and better means all they had plus more. And so all they had, we have plus more. And so what God said he'd do for them, he does for us, and then some. We can say it that way. Now, how do I do this? By fulfilling the royal law of love. But you see, if you don't understand that, if you don't know that, and and therefore you don't walk in the realm of love, you can shut the door to God's blessings. And that's why we're going to get there. We're going to eventually get to the place of love where we talk about what it means and how to walk in the realm of God's divine love. Talking about agape love, divine love, so that we can stay in an atmosphere in which God's blessings can fall upon us. Amen? Amen. Absolutely. Well, now, what I'd like to bring out, if if you don't mind, is found in Psalms 86 and verse 15. If you didn't know all that about what God revealed as being our healer and how He promised to take sickness and disease away from the midst of His people... If you don't know that, and if you've been taught that, well, maybe God will do it. You know, God might do it. Uh, if, if, it's just, if, if you catch him on a good day, if he's a little grumbling, grouchy when he wakes up in the morning, you know, God doesn't slumber asleep. Amen. Amen. You know, if you catch him on a good day, he might just, just might heal your body. You've been taught that? Just depends on the mood that God's in. How many know that God doesn't get in moods? He's forever the same. He doesn't change. How many of you know that? Always the same. You can count on Him to always be the same. Now, who's moody? Oh, not you. No, you're always constant. You're always sweet and nice and kind. Yes. (laughs) Tell me another and we'll get you to repent. (laughs) God's always the same. See? Now, we know that He revealed Himself as the healer. But now I want us to take it a step further and show us what motivates him to heal people. Because to prepare the heart is to have the right knowledge and right understanding on the inside of a person. If you think I've got to be this perfect person in order for God to do something for me, you see, we're wrong because we can't be perfect. Walking in the realm of divine love, for example, doesn't mean you never miss the mark. You never snap out at your husband or your wife. It means that when you do do it, you say, honey, I'm not going to let the sun go down upon my wrath. Please forgive me. And you get yourself back in God's love. Can you see that? See, sometimes people think, well, I've, I've got to never miss the mark because if I miss the mark, I've got guilt for, for three weeks. That's not it. You miss the mark because you're human. But what you do after you miss the mark is what counts. Get back under the blood of Jesus and get back in God's love and make it right with people. And if you do that, you put yourself in an atmosphere in which God moves. In Psalm 86, in verse 15. I want us to understand that God heals because of His compassion for mankind. But Thou, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. Our God is full of compassion. Now, hold that thought and turn to Psalm 111 and verse 4. Our God is full of compassion. Compassion is in his inward parts. Psalm 111, verse 1. Praise ye the Lord, I'll praise the Lord with my whole heart. In the assembly of the, of the upright and in the congregation, the works of the Lord are great sought out of them that have pleasure therein his work is honorable and glorious and his righteousness endureth forever he hath made his wonderful works to be remembered the Lord is gracious and full of compassion and no one would deny any of that his works are marvelous they're wonderful they're honorable no one does better workmanship than God Almighty correct? you agree to that? And he's full of compassion, and his tender mercies are over all of his works. Look at another psalm. Psalm 112, right there, beginning at verse 1. Praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that fears the Lord, that delight greatly in his commandments. His seed shall be mighty upon earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. Wealth and riches shall be in his house. His righteousness endureth forever. Under the upright there is a rise of light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. And again, Psalm 145. God is gracious... He is full of compassion, and He is righteous. Notice that God is always described as being full of compassion. Why does He keep saying that over and over and over again? Because He wants us to know that what you are full of will come out of you. Do you know that? I mean, you fill yourself up with something, it will come out of. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You fill yourself up with the Word of God, it will come out of you. You fill yourself up with the glory of God, it will come out of you. What you fill yourself up with is going to come out of you. You get full of love, it will come out of you. Okay? God is full of compassion. He also is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. Psalm 145, verse 1, I will extol thee, my God, Psalm 145. I apologize if I give you the wrong scripture. Psalm 145, I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee and I'll praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. I shall speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of the wondrous work of thy wondrous works. And men shall speak of the mighty and terrible acts and I will declare thy greatness. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness and shall sing of thy righteousness. The Lord is gracious. Again, full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all. His tender mercies are over all his works. Notice. Repeatedly, His mercy, His compassion over all His works. God is full of compassion. His mercy is over all of His works. We have a revelation here of the true nature and character of our God. As revealed to us by the psalmist. Compassion by definition means having the bowels yearn on the inside. It means an inward affection. It means a yearning from within. Eagerly yearning on the inside. One said it this way. Compassion is being sympathetic or having sympathy towards one who is suffering coupled with an inward yearning on the inside to alleviate the suffering. Did you get all that? Compassion is being sympathetic or having sympathy towards someone who you see suffering with a sickness, or with a disease, or with a problem, or whatever the case may be. And coupled with that sympathy, sympathy is not enough. To sympathize with someone is not enough. But coupled with that sympathy, there is within that person an inward yearning on the inside, an inward affection, wanting to reach out and to alleviate the person who is suffering from that suffering. God is full of inward affection. God is full of compassion. He is full of longing, desire. Beloved, what inspires our faith, and this is a golden nugget, is not the knowledge of the fact that God can heal us, but it's the knowledge of the fact that God is eagerly yearning with an inward affection, with sympathy coupled with the ability from this yearning to reach out in compassion and alleviate our suffering. Amen. That puts healing on a different plateau, a different basis. You ever been there when you want to help somebody so bad that all, oh, you hurt on the inside for them? You ever been there? You hurt on the inside. That's what God is doing for us. He is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And in His inward parts, there is an inward affection that wants to reach out and help someone who is in need to alleviate that person's suffering. That's God, the God that we serve. He is full of compassion. And if we don't know that, well, God can. I know that He can. That's not enough to inspire our faith. I need to know he wants to so bad. It's a yearning of his heart. He is reaching out with every part of his being to help you because you're in need. Don't view it that, oh, if I can just get him on a pretty good day, God's going to help me. Or if I can just get my act together a little bit better, then God will be just a little bit more lenient. And, and God, beloved. When someone walks, we talk about healing, and I don't want to magnify that above the most important thing, and that is the inward cause is greater than the outer effect. When a person walks away from him and starts to go in the wrong direction, oh, no, he's not browbeating that person. He is pouring himself out in a greater way to draw that person back. It's the goodness of God that leads one to repentance. Do you see that? Okay, I want us to understand that God is full of compassion. Well, what does all this have to do with healing? I'm glad you asked. Psalm 139. 139. God's mercy. How many of you know that Ephesians 2.4 says that God is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us. While we were dead in sins and trespasses. You know how ugly we were when we were dead in trespasses and sins? We can't even begin to fathom it. We can't even understand how, how black our hearts were. How separated from God we were. Oh, how horrendous, how hideous our condition was. But you know what? In that condition, the Bible says, dead in trespasses and sins, it says, God who is rich in what? Mercy. For His great love wherewith He loved us. What did He do? He reached out. God's rich in mercy. It didn't matter to him that we were that ugly. He reached out through the blood of Jesus. He reached out and what motivated him, what moved him to action was compassion. He didn't want us to die in our lost condition. He didn't want us to be doomed to an eternity in damnation. He didn't want us to suffer the second death, the lake of fire and brimstone which burns forever and ever and ever. He didn't want that. God's not willing one should perish and his bowels were, his inward affection, he was just yearning on the inside to help those people that are lost down there on this earth. And what did he do? He gave his son. Do you see that? Didn't sound like, well, if somebody just really, you know, just catches me on a good day, maybe I'll help him down there. That wasn't it. He reached out of his compassion and compassionate heart to help humanity. And this is what, is what it has to do with healing. In Psalm 139, and look at verse 14. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. You know, do you know that your body was fearfully and wonderfully made by God? <laughs> and that your body is the work of His hands? How marvelous. Remember we talked about His works? We read all those scriptures back there that said what? His tender mercies are over all of His works. You are the works of His hands. He made us. He made our bodies. He made a spirit, soul, and body. He made us with His hands out of the dust of the earth. He formed us from the dust of the earth and then breathed into us the breath of life. But the the body of man in all of its beauty and intricacy. Think about it. Think about the the, the miracle of the human body and its function. Think about it. It is a great work of God. A mighty work of God. A beautiful, wondrous, miraculous work of God. The works of His hands. Well, we read here that His mercy, His tender mercies, His compassion are over all of His works. And that includes the human body because we are the works of His hands, and so is the human body. Psalm 103 says this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, in verse 1, and all that is within me. Bless His only name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all thine iniquities, who healeth all of thy diseases, who redeems thy life from destruction, who crowns thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. A crown... We are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. We are His workmanship, the works of His hands. And we are crowned with loving kindness and tender mercies. When He made us, He crowned us. We are the crowning of His creation. He crowned us with loving kindness and tender mercies. The word crowneth there in the Hebrew. It actually means to encircle for attack and protection. To encircle for attack And protection. God encircles us. God encompasses us. To protect us. And also to enable us. Or to assist us when it comes to an attack. God's compassion. And God's tender mercies. Are over us. To compass us. To crown us so to speak. Why? To prepare us. And to protect us. To prepare us for battle. And also to protect us. From adversity. In this case, it could be sickness and disease. God's compassion is over all of His works. God's tender mercies are over all of His works. We are crowned with loving kindness. We are crowned with tender mercies. Because we are the works of His hands. And so God then provides protection for us. And He also provides that which is necessary for us to attack sickness and disease or the enemy through His compassion. And I'll show that to you. Go to Matthew's Gospel, if you would please, in chapter 9. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, Jesus was God manifest in the flesh, Emmanuel, God who is with us. If God is so compassionate, if compassion is what moves God or motivates God to action... If God is not just doing these things just to show that He is God, if He's really doing these things because of this yearning desire to help humanity, can you see the difference that's going to make in our belief and in our faith lives? He's not just doing it to prove who He is. He's doing it because something in Him cannot stand to see human suffering. Something in Him cannot tolerate watching one be destroyed. God couldn't stand looking at the world being devastated and destroyed any longer. So He had to send His only begotten Son because He loved the world, the Bible said. He had mercy and compassion toward the people of the world. He didn't love the earth itself. He loved the world. He loved us, the people that are in the world. He came for us. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9... Verse 36, but when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion. Jesus was crowned with loving kindness and tender mercies. The compassion of the Father welled up on the inside of him until it overflowed him. Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. He went about doing all that he did because he was empowered by the very character of God's mercy and compassion. And as a result of his compassion, he lift up his eyes. He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as a sheep having no shepherd. Well, let's back it up to verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, Preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and disease among the people. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest, he will send forth laborers labors into his harvest. Jesus did all that, moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion to teach. He was moved with compassion to preach. He was moved with compassion to do what? To heal all manner of sickness and disease among the people. And also, he was moved with compassion to pray that laborers would go into the harvest, equip with the Word of God, and share with other people. Because I can't be everywhere at once, he said. And so that's what motivated his action. That's what moved him to action. He was yearning to get things out to the people that would bless them and help them. Compassion did it. Matthew fourteen fourteen, if you would, quickly. And Jesus went forth. And saw a great multitude. And was moved with compassion toward them. And what did that result in? And He healed their sick. He healed their sick. He had a sympathy for them coupled with an eager desire, a longing, yearning to alleviate their suffering. He couldn't stand it. couldn't stand to see it. And He healed their sick. Because his compassion is over all of his works, and that human body was the work of God's hand. Can you see this? All right. Matthew 14:14. 14, 14. look at Matthew 15:32. Compassion is what brought deliverance to mankind and humanity. And verse 32, actually, you have to back it up the verse 29. And Jesus departed from thence and came nigh unto the sea of Galilee and went up into a mountain and sat down and great multitudes came unto Him having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed and many others and cast them down at Jesus' feet and He healed them insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak the maimed to behold the lame to walk and the blind to see and they glorified the God of Israel then called Jesus' disciples unto Him and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with Me now three days and have nothing to eat and I will not send them away fasting lest they faint in the way. You know what, Beloved, I've read that many times before. I recognize this truth. After he healed their sick, I want to show you the compassion of our Lord. The mean were made whole, body parts removed. They were made whole right there before their eyes. The lame walked, the blind saw, the deaf heard. Okay, he just did all that, all that miraculous healing, and with miraculous results. And yet, he was still moved with what? Why was he moved with compassion now? Because they've been with me three, three days. They haven't eaten. What is this? Wait a minute. You just did all those miracles for these people, and still you're concerned about the fact that they haven't eaten. And if they go away, they might faint. You're the Son of God. Let somebody else be concerned about that. You think about this. You do a miracle. You get involved in working a miracle for somebody, and then they just, you know, go on their way. Wait a minute. You'd be, we'd be so rejoicing in the fact that the man was made whole, we wouldn't be concerned about their physical. That's non spiritual. I like to think he would have said that, you know, go to McDonald's and if they don't have enough, we'll multiply it. (laughs) He was concerned. But what made him concerned? I said, what made him concerned? Compassion. Not just to heal them now, now we see to feed them. What wrought that miracle of the multiplication of the loaves and fishes? Compassion. Did you see that? If there's no compassion, we're trying to get miracles without the right heart motivation. He loved them. Didn't want them to pass out from starvation. Malnutrition. Think about it. Compassion worked that miracle. In Matthew 20 and 34, His compassion is over all of His works. In Matthew 20 and 34, two blind men came to Him They cried out for mercy. The multitude rebuked them, told them to hold their peace. They cried out for mercy. They cried out for mercy. And Jesus said in verse 32 of Matthew 20, What will ye that I should do unto you? And they say unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Compassion touched their eyes. Compassion touched their eyes and immediately they received their sight. Their eyes received sight and they followed him. Beloved, again, what motivates God's healing power is compassion. God wants to heal people because He loves them. God wants to deliver people because He made their body and He doesn't want them to suffer. This is what we have to understand and see. And if you go through the Gospel of Mark, in Mark one41 I'll just spell it out quickly here. The leper came to Him. Jesus moved with compassion, stretched forth His hand and touched Him, saying, I will be that clean. He was made whole. Go to Mark 5. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, in verse 19, a man was delivered from demon powers. You know the man, the man of Gadara that was bound up with chains and fetters and they couldn't hold him and he broke the chains and the fetters and he went about naked as a wild man in the, in the wilderness and in the woods and all that. He was just a lunatic. But Jesus saw him and what delivered him? Compassion delivered him. Look at verse 19 of, of Mark 5. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. There is something that we can identify with in God, something on the inside of us, a yearning that he had, we should have also when we see somebody hurting and afflicted. We long like He does to alleviate their suffering and then we contact Him and make connection with Him and it flows out from us into them. When we touch people, is that touch a hardened touch? Is it a fearful touch? Is it a doubtful touch? Or is it a compassionate touch? Because we have touched the Master. And that's what God is saying. This man was delivered from demon powers because of compassion. Because God didn't want to see him that way. And then we go to to the ultimate, if you can say it that way, when it comes to physical Deliverance. Look at Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, and verse 13. Luke 7 and verse 13. Someone said, Jesus raised this boy from the dead. Yes, he did, but I'll tell you what, it was compassion that raised him from the dead in actuality. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, and verse 13, I'm going to read that to you from the Amplified Bible. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. He went forward and touched the funeral couch and the pallbearer stood still. I read that because I want you to see the whole thing. I want you to envision something like this. Jesus was so moved with compassion that right there during the funeral procession, while the pallbearers were carrying the body of the boy, of the child, Jesus had so much compassion when he saw her in her despair. He said, don't weep, woman. He went forward, touched the funeral couch or the, the coffin, we would say, and the pallbearer stood still. And he said, young man, I to you arise from death. And the man who was dead sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him back to his mother. You think he was trying to show off? No. What was he? He couldn't stand the suffering. He couldn't stand her, 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 her mourning. He couldn't stand to see the tragedy of that scene. compassion welled up within him. He touched the coffin and spoke to the child and gave him back to her. Compassion did that. Because compassion and tender mercies of God are over all of his works. And beloved, I've got a wonderful scripture for you now in Psalm 18. If you'll go there with me, please. Because that's what you're going to receive here today if you've come for any type of deliverance is compassion from the Most High. And this is how you can see to it that not just today, but continually you can be in line for God's compassion to be demonstrated in your life. You can be there in that atmosphere. In Psalm 18, verse 25, with the merciful or compassionate, you will show yourself merciful and compassionate. With an upright man, you will show yourself upright. And with the pure, you will show yourself pure. But with the froward, you will show yourself froward. Now, listen carefully. When a person demonstrates true mercy and compassion towards someone else, God then demonstrates that same compassion and mercy toward that person. If that person refuses to demonstrate mercy and compassion, then he shuts himself off from God's mercy and compassion. When you reach out to love someone, to forgive someone, which is part of God's compassion and mercy, and to show mercy. You know what mercy is? It's not giving someone something they deserve. You deserve a knock in the head. That's what you deserve. But I'm not going to give it to you. I'm going to have mercy. Do you see that? Well, wait a minute. God would say to you and me, you deserve damnation. But I'm not going to give it to you. You deserve it. But I'm not going to give it to you. Because I'm going to have mercy on you. If it were not for His mercies, we all would be what? Consumed. Burned in a lake of fire. Now, you shut off someone else from your mercy. You burn the very bridge that you need to cross over to get to God's mercy. Can you see that? You don't show compassion to somebody else? How can God show compassion to you? We can shut ourselves off from God's compassion. His tender mercies are over all of His works. But I will show you how it works, how you shut it down. It also says to the upright who show himself upright, listen carefully. God's eyes run to and fro. Second Chronicles 16, nine, throughout the whole earth. His eyes run. Oh, the devil's walking like a roaring lion. He's walking. Well, the eyes of my God are running. Amen. Who's faster? Amen. Did you get that one? Amen. You let that sink in, it'll bless you. Amen. Satan walks about as a roaring lion. Well, God's eyes are running. Amen. He is running throughout the whole earth Why? to show himself strong on the behalf of those whose hearts are what? upright before Him. To the one who shows mercy, that person is upright and pure before God. That's what he's saying. When you show compassion and you show mercy to people, you are upright before God and pure. When you forgive those that wrong you and demonstrate mercy rather than vengeance, he is saying, I will then show compassion. I will demonstrate mercy in your life. If you harbor bitterness and resentment inside your heart, you shut down the mercy of God. His power cannot flow. See? See? And the Bible says we can become defiled with that. But the eyes of the Lord run to and fro to show Himself strong on the behalf of that person whose heart is upright and compassionate and merciful. Okay? Well, beloved, a couple more scriptures here. Psalms, you're in Psalms, look at 66. The Bible says the merciful shall obtain mercy in Matthew 5, does it not? Here is a way to shut down God's mercy and God's compassion and prevent it from doing its proper work in our lives. In Psalm 66 and verse 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. The Lord will not hear. If I regard iniquity, unforgiveness or bitterness in my heart, if I refuse to show mercy... If I refuse to be kind, if I refuse to reach out, if I refuse to forgive, if I refuse to get along with other people, to live at peace with all men, if I remain bitter, if I remain resentful, if I remain this way, and this is the attitude of my heart, then the Lord will not hear. Now, look at Isaiah 59 and verse 1 to show you what can happen. And I'm getting to an important point. Behold, verse 1, Isaiah 59. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither His ear heavy that it cannot hear. The Lord's arm is not too short to reach out. His ear is not too heavy. It's not that He didn't hear or can't hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins has, have hid His face from you that He will not hear. And what He is saying is, when the individual chooses not to show mercy, not to be upright, not to remain pure at heart, then God says, "Mm," he gets frustrated. I can't hear. I won't hear. Because I can't operate in that atmosphere of unforgiveness and being unmerciful and unkind and unforgiving. Unforgiving. When a person is resentful and full of bitterness and unforgiveness, then, see, God can't work in that atmosphere. In his, and although he, although he wants to demonstrate His loving kindness over all His works, it's short-circuited because of the unforgiveness. Can you see that? Okay. And it prevents God's power from being manifested. Okay, now listen carefully. I remember many years ago, first coming here to the church, an individual... In need of healing. A serious condition. And I went over the house and we'd go there and talk. I'd go there and talk and share the Word of God. And right before my very eyes, I saw God's power manifested. This eye was affected because of a a sugar diabetes problem. And it deteriorated the muscle. It It was absolutely deteriorated because of it. Of the eye. And it could not hold the eye focused properly. As a result... The eye was just like a lazy eye, just out the side this here way and could not look straight. But as I conversation, as we were talking, as I was sharing, that eye lined up, looked straight at me like the other one did, just like it was normal. And then right after I left and went back to the church, the eye went back to the side again. And I'd go back, and you know, later on, another day, same thing would happen. The eye would come in line, it would go back again. And I'm thinking, this is mysterious, this is strange, what's going on? I'll tell you what, the power of the Word, the power of faith, the power of the Word of God. Finally, I got to the point where I had to seek the Lord on this. So I said, Lord, what's going on? Every time I share the Word of faith, the Word of life, I see a miracle taking place before my very eyes, and all of a sudden it stops. What's going on here? And then I searched my heart, and the Lord spoke to me and said, Ask this person if there's bitterness or unforgiveness or resentment. In their life. And I did. And the person says, well, well, what's that got to do with anything? I said, because God's healing power has been here. His power has been manifested. Something is blocking it. Well, I didn't know that having unforgiveness or bitterness in my heart towards somebody would stop me from getting my miracle. I said, it will. And I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get it straight. God wants you to get it straight. But you don't know what this person did. It doesn't matter what that person did. Is your health or that more important? Be merciful. Be forgiving. Get it over with. Don't harbor that. Bitterness will defile the person. Oh, now, you're not making this exciting. We just want to lay hands on people to get them healed. Well, you know what, beloved? You can lay hands on, on people until, you, until Jesus comes again. With all that inside, they won't get healed. Listen carefully. I said, you deal with it, and then you come. This person dealt with it, and I admire her for doing so. Dealt with it. Once it was dealt with and taken care of, and the bitterness and the resentment was gone, and released the other person of all that, the person came forward. See, it's still not automatic. And said, now, I've dealt with that. I says, okay, now we can agree in prayer. I laid hands on this person, agreed in prayer. And beloved, this wasn't just a healing this was a creative miracle. The muscle that was deteriorated was restored by the power of God, recreated by the power of God. She went back to the doctors. They wanted to know what specialist that, that this person went to. Did you go to Cleveland Clinic or Pittsburgh? She said, no, I went to Jesus. Amen. Went to Jesus. But although God's compassion, can you see it was right there working for this person? But what happened? Unforgiveness stopped it from being effective. And that's what happened. But when the unforgiveness was gone, the power began to flow. A recreative miracle took place. A miracle came. Let's all stand before the Lord. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. and experience God bless